And uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been working through a series together this summer on the building blocks of our church. And uh, as you look around you on the walls here, we have a series of banners and we've been just working through these different themes this summer. We began a few weeks ago looking at biblical proclamation, the importance of proclaiming the truth of God's Word. And that's what we do every Sunday at church, but that's something we all have a responsibility to do wherever we go, that we would be lights for Christ, that we would live out the truth of God's Word through what we say and what we do as well. And then we looked at passionate worship, the importance of uh, singing and praying and responding to the truth that God is God and He deserves all of our praise, all of our worship. He truly is worthy. And that word worthy and the word worship go right hand in hand together. We looked at sincere prayer uh, last week as we think about the importance of praying and speaking to God and taking all of our needs and requests to Him. Today, we want to look at compassionate evangelism, and we'll be looking at that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. Evangelism, that of, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves and that He forgives us of our sin. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the topic of patient discipleship as we think about what that means and what that looks like, and then genuine love and selfless service as we finish out this series together. Several of you today, I already saw in the fellowship hall, and there may be a few more on the way, brought your Lego creations for the uh, Arise uh, Lego competition. We have some prizes or a big prize to give out tonight for the winners, and we, those are to be determined. So after church today, if you want to go look at those, we just had a little fun in the summertime and uh, had a little Lego building competition. The theme was Arise Baptist Church, so you had to build something along the lines of Arise. So when you go see those, it's pretty impressive. Although I did notice in one, somebody had built one that had a little Lego character playing the guitar. I assume that was representing Billy because he was standing up here where Billy often does. He's in India right now, so that's why he's not here. But uh, the, the character had no hair, though, and so I, maybe they got it confused between Billy and me. I don't know, but anyway, um, you'll have fun looking at those. Be careful, though. People put a lot of time into it, so don't knock one off the table. We have our impartial judges coming tonight. Uh, we've invited David and Adriana Cripps from New Life to come over and judge uh, this evening, so they'll join us. We'll have some time of testimony uh, from our teens and young people, juniors if they're willing, uh, who just got back from camp uh, over this past week, and we're thankful for that and just rejoicing what the Lord's done. And then enjoy some little snacks and fellowship together as a church. I hope you come and to be encouraged tonight. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you'll bear with me this morning, I'd like to take time to just read the whole chapter. So you listen. Guys, we're getting just a little feedback up here. I don't know if they can hear it, but I can. It's probably in the monitors here if you can help me out. Thank you. I want to read this whole chapter because it really speaks to this importance of being ambassadors. But before we read the whole chapter, look down at verse number 20 because that really sets the stage for all of chapter 5. Let's look at verse 20, and then I'll read the whole chapter. I won't stop and make lots of comments along the way, but I think it will help us to kind of 
grasp all 21 verses in our mind. The Bible says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did to beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now let's go back at verse 1 and we'll read straight through the chapter. You follow along as I read aloud. It says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences." For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. 
We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In the year 1776, that's a year that might mean something to you if you know your American history, this was the year that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Did you know, by the way, the Declaration of Independence was not signed on July 4th? It was signed on July 1st, but it was actually confirmed on, on July 4th because they had to send it out to all the states and only 12 states initially were there and then the 13th, 13th colony came in and so it was on the 4th when they all came together and said okay we actually are going to um, affirm this con or not the constitution the declaration of independence and this was during those time when the United States was involved in the war for independence from Great Britain you know the cry no taxation without representation and so there was the great battles that raged but the United States as it was these 13 colonies didn't have a whole lot of resources beyond just the natural resources of the land and Great Britain at this time was a nation that really spanned the entire globe with all of their territories and things that they controlled and so to try to win this battle we had the advantage of I guess it was being fought on our own home soil not across an ocean but this was a very difficult thing to try to win and so the United States went looking for help and they sent a very well-known American by the name of Benjamin Franklin, they sent him to France to go as an ambassador to France, even though he probably wasn't even technically called an ambassador at that point, but he was sent to do the work of an ambassador in Paris to try to gain the recognition of the French government for the United States as a nation. And it was France that first recognized the United States as a country and then later provided help and support to those colonies in their fight for independence. And Benjamin Franklin evidently did quite an incredible job as an ambassador there. He was quite popular with the French court, seen as this back, very well-educated but backwoods man from America. And, and even the ladies stopped wearing their big wigs and they changed it out for a beaver skin hat like Benjamin Franklin would wear. They even had little emblems and, and signs made up with his face on it. And they would wear those on their brooches and on their hair and in different places. It was later that Thomas Jefferson, another famous American, succeeded Ben Franklin as ambassador to the French in 1785. And the French foreign minister asked Jefferson, he said, Is it you who replace Dr. Franklin? And Jefferson replied, No one can replace him, sir. I am only his successor. Ambassadors do important work on behalf of the nations that they represent. Ben Franklin did very important work that was very instrumental in the colonies being able to win the war for independence. If he had not done his work, there's a good chance that how we sit and what we do today would look very different. 
And in the scriptures, Paul uses the example here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 of an ambassador. You see, it's an ambassador's job to represent their home nation to other foreign countries. They're responsible to communicate the wishes and intentions of their home country and to report back to their home country about what is going on in the foreign nation. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, all Christians, all believers are described as ambassadors. This is not just the pastors, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just the elders in the church. This is every believer is being described as an ambassador. And he lays out this beautiful thing. I don't have time to go through every bit of it in detail, but I wanted to at least read the whole chapter to you because it all fits together with this idea of an ambassador. As an ambassador, we have an important job, an important responsibility. God truly has a work for all of us to do. You have a place where you live, where you work, where you have connections. You have family. You have neighbors. You have coworkers. What if every believer, every person who claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what if every believer viewed themselves as an ambassador for Christ and really recognized their responsibility as such and lived accordingly in their home, in their work, in their school, and in their neighborhood. You know, an ambassador who does their job can make a great difference for the nation that they represent. An ambassador who doesn't do their job could be called a traitor because rather than representing the wishes of their home nation, they'd be perhaps even turning and going the direction of the nation to whom they are supposed to be the representative. This, I think, goes right along with the first message that we had in this series, in this building block series, Biblical Proclamation. Back in Romans 14, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, the Bible says, "...how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed?" And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? God put us here to do His work, to share the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll look at that topic of discipleship in more detail next week. But as I was thinking about this and this idea of being an ambassador for Christ, I was wondering this, if heaven is so much better than earth. Would you agree that heaven is better than earth? I, I think it is. According to God's word, it is. According to the longing of, of Paul, even here in this passage, when he says, I would much rather go into heaven, I'm, but I'm willing, he says, to stay here and minister to you. But if heaven's so much better than earth, then why did God leave us here after we trusted Christ? We have the Word of God. The Word of God's here. Even when you and I are dead and gone, the Word of God will still be here. The Bible tells us that the Word of God liveth and abideth forever. So why are we here? Well, we understand through our message on worship, we're here to give glory to the Lord. We understand that. But couldn't we give Him glory better when we're in heaven with Him? than here on this earth? 
I mean, at that point, then we won't have our sinful bodies anymore. We won't be physically weak anymore. We'll, we'll be able to just stay up and worship Him all the time. So why has He left us here? I think Paul clearly makes the case in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that He's left us here to be ambassadors, to be His representatives here on this earth, that through our life, through what we say and what we do, we ought to be representatives of Jesus Christ. When you hear what an ambassador has to say, you're not hearing his words or her words. You ought to be hearing the words of the nation and the leaders that he represents. So too, as a Christian today, my words, my actions ought not to just be my own, but rather representative of the words and actions of Jesus Christ. Now then, ye are ambassadors for Christ. I want us to take some time this morning to look at this theme of being an ambassador as we think about compassionately sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what this ambassador for Christ does. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we get into some of the message and the things that the ambassador shares, I want you to notice, first of all, and it's very clear in the first section of this chapter, the ambassador's agony. You know, it's not easy to be an ambassador. I don't know, maybe some would think, well, Pastor, why are you going to start with the negative? Why not start with the positive? We came in this morning, it's Sunday morning, it's been a long week, it's been hot, uh, we're, we're tired, we, it's, it's first thing in the morning. But I think we would be remiss if I just got up this morning and tried to fire you up and get you excited about something without giving you the reality check. And Paul details it for us clearly in this passage that there is an agony to being an ambassador. You know, for an ambassador in, in between nations, they're required to live in a nation that's not their own. They don't get to live at home. They have to make their home in a foreign place. They have to learn a foreign culture. They have to learn to communicate with people that may not actually have their best interests at heart. They face great danger. We've even seen throughout our own nation's history at various times where the consulate has been attacked by an enemy nation. Why? because those are representatives of the United States of America. And so a terrorist or some other enemy might want to attack that place because of what it represents. Being an ambassador comes with some struggle. Paul tells us about this in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5. He says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's he say here? We understand that we already have a home in heaven. God is preparing a place for us. We know that heaven is better than earth. And because of that, in verse 2 he says, we groan. Ugh. Why do I have to be here right now? Why do I face the physical and spiritual struggle that it is to live in this world? He says, we groan earnestly desiring. We have a great heart's desire to be clothed with our house, which is 
from heaven. He's ready for his eternal body. Can you imagine Paul writing to this church as Paul traveled? His travels were not easy. We looked at that as we studied through the book of Acts over the last couple of years as he had to walk miles, as he had to travel, sometimes even having just been beaten. And then he has to travel to the next city. Not only that, he was thrown in prison on multiple occasions. Usually that accompanied with another beating. Paul was stoned and left for dead. He had great trials and great struggles. You know, when you go back and you study the early uh, Christian leaders after the ascension of Jesus Christ, Paul eventually was killed for his faith. Peter, history tells us, was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, he was beheaded. You can go down the list... Almost all of them lost their lives for the faith. Oh, wait, except for John. Remember John? He, he wasn't killed for his faith, but he was boiled in oil and, and, uh, uh, and isolated out on the island of Patmos where he was put in exile and he was not allowed to see his family. There's some great agony here to being an ambassador. You say, wow, this is really negative this morning. I want you to understand when you feel that struggle in your heart and in your life, like, oh, it's really hard sometimes to do the right thing. It's a struggle to share the gospel like we should. It's, it's difficult to stand for Christ when you feel like everything else is going the other direction. Can I at least encourage you from the negative to say that struggle is normal, it's natural, it's part of life. And if this was a struggle that Paul had, then it would be very understandable if you faced the same struggle as well. In fact, I think you ought to be more questioning those that walk around and say, everything's great, I don't have any problems at all. <laughs> okay, something's wrong. Either you're not all right in your head or, or maybe you just haven't got out of bed yet today because there's a lot of struggle all around us. His desire was to be with the Lord. You see down in verse 8, he says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And he understands that in this life, verse 6, he says, We are absent from the Lord. In other words, we don't get to see Him face to face because we're here on this earth. Aren't you thankful that this earth is not all that there is for the believer? I mean, if it was, whew. That'd be a pretty, pretty rough thing. I mean, there's some wonderful things. I'm thankful for the beauty, thankful for creation. My wife and I, we ended up talking a lot about mountains this week. We, we spent the week at camp with our teens and some, and some of our own children, and we were back at the place where we met 20 years ago this summer, so that was kind of a special week for us. We went back to the place where we met, and we took a selfie. 20 years ago, you couldn't take a selfie, at least not with a cell phone. So that was kind of interesting to think about. You know, all the things that have changed, all the things that have done. We've had a, made a lot of memories over the last 20 years. We've spent a lot of time in the mountains. We've seen beautiful waterfalls. We've made lots of great friends. We've visited lots of places. But you know, this earth is still a place full of struggle and difficulty. In fact, I just put it in your notes this way, letter A, the struggle of our present state. 
It's a groaning because we are currently absent from the Lord. I'm not saying that His presence is not here with us through His Holy Spirit's power, but I'm saying you can't look over and, and put your arm around Him and say, boy, the Lord, I can see Him, I can touch Him, I can feel Him. It's just not the same as it will be in heaven someday. But I'm thankful how He says that little tag in my Bible, it's in parentheses. Like this little parenthetical thought that Paul throws into the middle of all this in verse 7. He says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. If you had to see it to believe it, then you wouldn't be able to follow the Lord. Because faith is not what we see, it's what we do when we can't see. It's being willing to step into what God has said, even if we don't see how it's all going to work out. And that's so the truth of the Christian life. And that's part of the agony of the ambassador, is being willing to take a step of faith to trust God's word, that he is providing a home for us in heaven. John chapter 14 tells us about this place. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm thankful for the place that the Lord is preparing for us, but there is a struggle of our present state. And we see here Paul's desire, and I think our desire, for our home in heaven. If you wake up someday, some days feeling that internal struggle, like, oh, it's Sunday. i got to go to church, but I don't feel like getting out of bed. Oh, it's Sunday, but it's been a long week. I just want another day to sleep. Oh, it's Monday. I have to go to work and I got to be around all those people, those grumpy people on Monday. And I have to, even though I was in church on Sunday, I have to work hard. So I'm not one of those grumpy people on Monday because I say that I have the joy of the Lord. I think for the ambassador, it's very natural to be homesick. Homesick. But don't let your homesickness make you useless for the work that God has given you to do. God didn't put you here to sit in your room and to mope around because you're not in heaven yet. He's put you here with a job to do. That's why Paul says he is confident and willing to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. God created us with a desire for rest and a desire for peace. This is part of God's image, and God is the ultimate source of true peace and rest. But true peace, eternal rest, can only be found in Him. So we see the agony of the ambassador. But I think in the next section of verses here, verses 9 through 18, we see the ambassador's allegiance who he's loyal to. That's really important, right? I mean, if you don't know the ambassador's loyalty, you don't know what he's saying. And you know, often a lot of corruption takes place in the halls of those who would claim to be ambassadors and representatives, those who are leaders for various nations and organizations. Why? Because if you can get the ambassador to turn and to switch teams and join the purpose of the other nation, boy, now you've got a really powerful tool to be used against the kingdom that that ambassador claims to represent. 
It's amazing. I was doing some research this week on ambassadors, and there's really there, there's, there's three levels of ambassadors. There's the really great ones who did really incredible work. There are those that you know nothing about, and we're not sure if they did much of anything. And then there are really terrible ambassadors who, instead of representing their country well, they actually were traitors and spies for the other nation, and they passed secrets, and they did all kinds of things that they should not have done. I think the same could probably be said for a lot of Christians today. You have those who do great work for the Lord. And Paul talks about this, about standing before the Lord and receiving the Lord's judgment for what he's done and making sure he's ready to give an answer for how he's lived his life. And then you have those Christians who we're not really sure what they did. I mean, they claim to be saved, but uh, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence of their work for the Lord. And then, sadly, there are those who, from a human perspective, we might say do more harm than good. Let's look at the passage together. He says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor. By the way, it's hard work to be an ambassador. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Paul understood in his work as an ambassador, he was doing it here on this earth. He was present in this body, but someday he would be absent. So he said, either way, whether I'm in heaven with the Lord someday or while I'm still here on this earth, I want to be accepted of the Lord. And he tells us in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's a judgment day coming for every ambassador. He's not speaking here about the great white throne judgment that will come for all unbelievers, where they'll be judged for their sin. Rather, he's speaking here about the judgment that all believers will stand at. Think about it. The Lord is our King. He's sitting on His throne there in heaven. Someday He's going to gather all of His ambassadors together from all over the world. They'll come from all different nations, speaking all different languages. They'll come from different neighborhoods, from different economic, from different ethnic, from different educational backgrounds. They'll come from all over the place, and these are the followers of Jesus Christ. These are the ambassadors, His representatives. Isn't that kind of a neat picture to think about even in a church body like this? Because after today, you'll go back to your neighborhood and I'll go to my neighborhood. You'll go to your office or your place of work. You'll go back to your little neighborhood park or to your coffee shop. You'll go back to the little place where you live. You'll have your children there, not my children there. Um, I'll have mine, not yours. And we have our jobs to do. And Sundays, I think, are kind of special because it's a day when all of these ambassadors, if you will, get to gather back together. We get to hear the Word of God. We get to fellowship with one another. Hey, how's it going over in Inwood Forest? Well, how's it going in Inwood Pines? How are you doing over in Oak Forest right now? What's it like in Garden Oaks? What, what, what are you doing in the Heights? How about Independence Heights? What are you doing down in River Oaks? What, what are you doing up north in Cypress? How, how are things in spring? Hey, wherever you're coming from, 
it's pretty special to think that God would allow us even here at this time to gather all of us together. But this is just a tiny taste of how special heaven will be. Because there's coming this day when we'll all gather together and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. My question this morning to you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, is your allegiance to Him? When you stand and pledge allegiance, we often will do that to our flag. If you go to a baseball game, you'll do it there. If you go to school, you'll do it there. If you go to any place in the military, you had a lot of opportunities to pledge allegiance to our flag, and that's a wonderful opportunity. But this morning, I want to challenge every Christian here today that you must pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ each and every day of your life. Why? Because first of all, Christ is our judge. He's our judge. We see that in verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is our judge But I want to give you another reason. Look just a little bit further down in the chapter. Not only is Christ our judge and worthy of our allegiance, He's also our Savior. It's one thing to serve out of duty, out of fear of consequence. And if we stopped at the judgment, boy, we're going to have to give an account someday, so I better do right because God's watching. He's watching. He's going to judge. That, that's sort of like, I better clean my room because mom's coming, right? Or I better get my work done because my boss is looking over my shoulder. Okay, there's motivation in that. But that's not the only motivation he gives us here. Yes, Christ is our judge, but he's also our Savior. And I love how Paul takes that as he's describing this role and responsibility of an ambassador, how he's speaking about our allegiance, who we're loyal to as an ambassador. We're not just loyal because he's going to judge us someday. He says in verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That's to, to motivate us, to push us forward. It's the love of Jesus Christ because he says we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And then he died for all. Look at the rest of that verse, verse 15 with me, that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Boy, how much of our life is spent living for ourselves. God didn't say you couldn't feed yourself, provide for your family. No, in fact, He tells you that you ought to provide for your family, that you ought to take care of the body that God has given you. But are you doing those things just to benefit you, or are you doing those things for the glory of God? I was having a conversation with one of our men recently here in the church, and he was telling me about some different choices he was making in regards to his health. It's interesting as a pastor, you get to hear all kinds of conversations about all kinds of things. And he just said to me, he said, I realize that God's plan in working out my life might take longer than I would imagine. And so I want to take care of the body that God's given me so that I can have it to serve God with as long as I'm able And we understand that God's the great physician. He gives health and He can take health away. But we do have a responsibility to take care of what God has given us as best as we can so that we can use it for the glory of God, not so that we can just use it for ourselves. And he says we shouldn't live unto ourselves 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, that's the love of Christ that motivates us. Hey, boys and girls, why do you clean your room? Is it because mom's looking over your shoulder or because you just love mom so much and you're thankful for the fact that you even have clothes to put in a drawer and you even have a bed to sleep on? I know. Here's the thing for all of us. We often start at the judge level, right? That's why most kids clean their room because mom's coming with a paddle if I don't, right? Or, or because I'm not going get to get an ice cream cone later, whatever it is, some consequence that's going to take place. And you often see this with some new employees. Why are they working? Because the boss is watching. I saw this thing. You've probably seen it too. I hope you don't own one of these. If you do, maybe you need to come confess it to the Lord later. Uh, but I saw this thing that you can order that holds your mouse and moves it for you so that if your boss is checking to see if you're working on your computer digitally, he'll see the mouse moving and think that you're at your computer working. This is what we've come to in our day of working from home. People are trying to come up with sneaky ways to not get their work done and to pretend like they're working. You know what that level of work is? That's work motivated by a coming judgment. And the truth is, for all of us, there is a day of judgment coming. But you know, that's not the best motivation for work. And that's why Paul says here, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. You see, I'm an ambassador for Christ, not because I have to, but because I want to. I'm an ambassador for Christ, not because He's going to judge me if I don't, but because He's been so faithful to me and so good to me. He sent His Son to die on the cross for my sin. He died, He was buried, and He rose again, and He's given me eternal life, and I love Him for it, and I'm thankful for it, and I can't wait to tell everybody else that God can do the same thing for them if they will trust in Him as their Savior. We have good news. And the good news isn't just because He's a judge. The good news is also because He's our Savior. He's our Savior. Where's your allegiance this morning? And why do you pledge allegiance to that thing? Do you pledge allegiance to yourself this morning? Well, if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. Listen, God can take care of you even better than you can take care of yourself. Well, my allegiance is to my family Hey, praise God for your family, but your family cannot replace God. Well, my allegiance is to my church. Praise God for good churches, but good churches still have people in them, and people are still sinners. Don't pledge allegiance to your family, first and foremost. Don't pledge allegiance, first and foremost, to your church. Don't pledge allegiance, first and foremost, even to your country, while I think you ought to have allegiance to all of those things, first and foremost, as a Christian, our allegiance must be to the Lord. To the Lord. He's worthy of our praise. For the love of Christ constraineth us. What an encouraging thought in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Let me take you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writing his first letter to this church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, remember that chapter 13 is all about love and he's basically telling the church at Corinth, you guys have a lot of talent, you have a lot of ability, you think very highly of yourselves, but you don't really love like you should. People in Corinth seem to have a lot of pride. Sound familiar? But Paul reminds them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of where they came from. And I want to connect that to what we just looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, you're a new creature, old things are passed away. What are some of those old things? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the next words in verse 11. And such were some of you. Now, Paul looked around, probably in his mind's eye, because he's writing a letter here at this church in Corinth. He says, don't forget where you came from. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. But you came as a dead, lost, broken person that needed Jesus Christ. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Yes, there's agony for the ambassador, but we see what his allegiance ought to be. It's to the Lord. So who's his authority? His allegiance is to the Lord, but who tells him what to do? Who tells him what to do? Verses 15 through 20 go on and describe the work of the gospel, how that our sins have been forgiven. We've already looked at several of those verses. I want you to go down to verse 20, though, because we see all of these points laid out. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ." That's his allegiance. Notice his authority. As though God did beseech you by us. Who's the one commanding him to do it? Is it Paul telling us to do these things? No. It's God. It's God. God's his authority. I love the idea of authority when it comes to our relationship with God number of years ago. I told this story to somebody this past week. I was reminded of it being at camp. I was working as a camp counselor, and so I had young people in my cabin for a week, Monday through Saturday, and so I would be responsible to get them up, get the cabin clean, and, and get them dressed, and get them to breakfast, and take them through the day, and, and talk with them about the Lord, and lead them in devotions. And in the evening, we had to get them through the showers, and that was sometimes a challenge. I remember one time with the junior camp week, none of them wanted to take showers, so I made them all put their bathing suits on, and, and we would go to the pool every day. I thought at least the chlorine will kill off some of that stuff that's growing behind their ears, and, and we did all of those things. But one of the biggest challenges, especially for a new counselor, 
And Tim will know this, is getting your campers to sleep at night. And uh, it's lights out. Turn the lights out. And lights out means quiet, go to sleep. I'm glad Matt wasn't in my cabin because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could have gotten him to be quiet. Lights out, stop talking. And of course, people be talking. So I had this little process that I came up with. I would say, all right, guys, when I turn the lights out, it's no more talking. Be quiet. Because we need our rest. Because tomorrow is a great day, and we have a lot of things planned. And if you don't sleep, you're going to be tired and groggy, and you're going to miss out on some of the fun. And so everybody needs to go to sleep. So I'd turn the lights out. Of course, invariably, one or two would talk. So I'd immediately turn the lights back on. i say, all right, who was talking? Uh, he was. They were. You know, so you finally figure out, okay, who was talking? So I turn the lights out again. No more talking. Of course, talking again. So this time I turn the lights on. I say, guys, who, who sent you to camp this week? And they would tell me, well, it was my grandma or it was my mom or my dad or whatever. You know, we, they sent us to camp this week. And I said, are they, are they your authority? Do they get to tell you what to do? Well, yeah, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's my grandma, whatever. I said, okay. Well, you know, when they sent you to camp this week, they gave me that authority to be able to tell you it's time to go to sleep. Because someone would say, well, you're not my mom. I don't have to do what you tell me. Nope, and I'm thankful I'm not your mom. <laughs> but your mom would, gave me the permission to be able to tell you to go to sleep. And then I would tell them this. I say, listen, did you know your mom's authority doesn't just come from the fact that she's your mom? Do you know where her authority comes from? No. I said, well, it comes from God. I said, because the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Maybe this is going back to very early childhood for me. My mother can tell you this was the first Bible verse I memorized. Only I left out the part about parents. Or no, about obedience. That's what I left out. I think I said, children, your parents. Clearly, I had a problem with authority from a very early age. But I would tell them, hey, listen, God gave your parents their authority. Your parents have given me the authority to be able to put you to sleep at night so you can sleep. And I had one boy look at me one time and he said, why do you have to bring God into it? You know, he asked a really good question, and the answer is this, because God is our authority in everything. But so many times in life, we like to have certain things, and we say, well, God's in charge of this stuff over here. All right, God's in charge of church. I'll give him that. God's in charge of creation. I'll give him that. God's in charge of, you know, working in people's hearts. People get saved. Even Christians do this. But this stuff over here, I'm in charge of this, and I'll do what I want with this over here. God can have all that, but this is mine. And I think an ambassador really has to think about their authority. Not the authority of the ambassador, but who they receive their authority from. The Bible is very clear here in this passage that the ambassador is commissioned by God. He said, as though God did beseech you by us. It was God pointing them in the direction. It was God giving them the responsibility. In the same way, a president or a king gives their ambassador authority, but it's not the ambassador's authority, it's the king's authority. 
Can I take you back to a very familiar passage to many in our church? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came, spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He's talking about that authority because he has all power in heaven and in earth. And he says, go ye therefore. When you go to do the work of an ambassador, to do the work of compassionately sharing the gospel, you're not going in your own authority. You're going in the authority that comes directly from God. And that's so important. Because it's easy to get discouraged as an ambassador. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody's listening to the message that I'm sharing. Nobody's listening to what I have to say. Don't worry about that so much. If you're speaking on the authority of God, you're doing the right thing. The ambassador is commissioned by God, and the ambassador is empowered by Christ. He's empowered by Christ. The next little phrase there in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says, We pray you in Christ's stead. Why are we encouraging? Because we're doing this in the position of Christ for you. Because of what Christ has done for you, this is why you're empowered to do this. The ambassador's authority I want to give you one final point, and we'll be done this morning. Because the ambassador, well, it can be a challenge. It's an agony sometimes. He has to know that his allegiance is clear. He has to know where his authority comes from. But the ambassador has an announcement. He has something to say. A good ambassador doesn't just walk around with nothing to say. No, they have an important message to communicate. And we know where the authority for that message comes. We know in his heart where he needs to be focused, but where does his, what is his announcement that he must share? Well, it's right here in our text. Look at the last five words of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Be ye reconciled to God. Be ye reconciled to God. And that word reconciliation Reconciled. This is a business term. This is like balancing accounts or a, or a bank checkbook, if you will. Reconciling things, making sure that all of the things match up. And here's the problem. You and I owe a great debt that we cannot reconcile on our own. And that debt is because of our sin. I got to share this, praise the Lord, with a little boy on Friday night at camp this week, and he trusted Christ as Savior. He's from um, Shreveport, Louisiana, and I know his pastor up there, and little Trenton, trusted Christ on Friday night. And I took him to that verse that many of you can say by heart, Romans 6.23, that says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the great debt that we cannot pay. And he's commanded us here that our message to this world is to be reconciled to God. But we can't reconcile ourselves. And that's why he gives us the rest of the announcement in verse 21. Look at it with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, that's God. That's who we're to be reconciled to. For he, God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we, that's you and me, might be made the righteousness 
of God in him. The announcement's very simple. Christ was made sin, and we were made righteous. Christ was made sin, and we were made righteous. But did you notice what he said in the verse? Christ was made sin. He didn't sin himself. You've read the passage of Scripture, I'm sure. You've heard it quoted, perhaps, where Christ is there hanging on the cross. The Bible tells us that God the Father turned His back on the Son. Why? Because He couldn't look on His sin. It wasn't His sin, it was our sin that had been placed upon Him. He hath made Him to be sin. I love this verse of Scripture because it's such a succinct way to describe the good news that Jesus saves. He said, here, I'll take your sin and let me give you my righteousness. Can I just say, we got the good end of that deal. But there are so many in this world today that are so confused by everything that takes place around them. They've been told that the Bible is not really God's word, that it's full of errors. They, they've been told that God is just a made-up figment of your imagination. And if God's not real, and if this is not the word of God, then there's no point. Paul even said it this way, if Christ be not risen, then we're of all men most miserable. Like, what are we doing? This coat is hot. I'm in church talking on Sunday morning. It's July 4th weekend. We should be out by a lake somewhere. And maybe you will be later today or tomorrow. I don't know. That, that's fine. But why do we take this time to do this? Because the love of Christ constrains us. We're motivated by His love for us. That He took our sin and He gave us His righteousness. This morning, I wonder, have you received the righteousness of Christ? You say, well, I can't afford that. Here I knew it was coming. They always take up money sometime at the church, and now here comes the big ask. They're going to say, all right, you heard all this. Now, now receive it. The offering plates are going to pass by in just a moment, and when it comes by, put your money in, and if you put in enough money, you can get some righteousness. That's not true. You can't purchase this righteousness with your money. It's a gift. Okay, I understand. They're gonna, they want me to join the church now, and i got to sign up. i got to find something somewhere. to. Nope. It's a gift. We're not very good at understanding gifts sometimes because in our way of thinking, gifts come with strings. He said, no, He's made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in I don't know about this. You guys all look kind of funny today. You're all wearing red, white, and blue. Do I have to wear red, white, and blue? Nope. Because my primary allegiance isn't to the red, white, and blue. It's to the blood of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ constrains me. Have you received the righteousness of Christ? 
The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that first part of the verse that talks about our debt, the wages of sin is death, it's true. But the second half says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. Have you received the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And here's the second question. If you have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, how long would it take someone else to be able to tell that you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Like, would they have to know you an hour, a day, week, 10 years? How long would it take somebody to recognize that you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ? How long would it take them to hear, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, hear your announcement, your message of Jesus Christ? Would they see it in the way you live and the way you conduct yourself? Would they hear it in the words that you share? Would they see it through how you prioritize your life, where you go, what you do? Are you one person at church and another person entirely when you go someplace else? Are you one person when you're out in public and somebody very different when you're at home? A good ambassador is consistent. A good ambassador knows who, whom their allegiance is to. They know where their authority comes from. We're not here speaking on our authority this morning, speaking on God's authority. And if I can't point it directly to the words of God to present it to you this morning, then I'm just up here running my mouth. But if I'm speaking as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and sharing the words of Christ, then it can help bring you to Christ. And if you will take the words of Jesus Christ and you will share them where you go as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you too can point others to Christ. You don't have to have a college degree to do this. You don't have to be in a church building to do this. In fact, Sometimes a church building is one of the most difficult places to do this because everybody is coming in, holding themselves up, trying to make sure everybody else thinks that they've got it all together, and that's just not true. God's given us a great responsibility to be compassionate evangelizers, those who share the gospel. As a church, we try to have times where we organize together, go do this. We're, this Saturday, we're going to go out and invite people to church and try to have opportunities to share the gospel, we're going to be inviting them to Vacation Bible School. That's exciting. We'd love to have you come and join us if you're able. Saturday morning, we're even going to feed you breakfast at 9 o'clock. Then we're going to go out, and, or 8.30, I think breakfast starts. And then we're going to go out after that, and we're going to share the gospel. But, and I want everybody to come. But, you know, you don't have to come this Saturday to be a compassionate evangelist, to be an ambassador, because this is one of the things about ambassadors. They're always working as an ambassador. Wherever they go when they're living in that foreign country, they're representing. They're representing their home nation. And you and I, the reality is this. We may have days where we're not here in this building, where you're not dressed up fancy in your church clothes, if you want to even call it that. You're going to have days when you're not even going to see anybody else from here. But you're still on duty as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I remember when I was little and growing up and parents telling me things like, hey, when you go, you're representing the Cover family. It means something. So I want to represent my parents well. Hey, this morning, you represent Jesus Christ if you're His child. 
Do you represent him well? Would other people find Christ if they followed you? Or are you leading people away? Compassionate evangelism. It requires that we be faithful ambassadors. Faithful ambassador needs to keep his eyes on the Lord because it's hard some days. We need to have a clear allegiance, clearly understand where our authority comes from, and we need to be clear in our message as we announce the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to receive His righteousness. You can't earn it. Even those who try really hard to earn it, the Bible says your righteousness is just filthy rags. But I tried really hard. I know. But we've all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. You can receive the righteousness of Christ and have a personal relationship with God. He'll forgive you of your sin. And you can have a home in heaven. Paul was looking forward to that home. I'm sure looking forward to it. You know, I don't think it'll be 100 degrees in heaven. But there is another place that is created for those who don't follow him that will be called hell that will be much hotter than 100 degrees. I don't want to be dramatic, but it's true. And there's a choice in front of all of us today, heaven or hell, your sin or the righteousness of Christ. I hope you've made that choice. And if you haven't, I want to invite you to do it. Trust God as you call out to him and ask him for forgiveness. In just a moment, we're going to pray. I have the piano played, and if you'd like to come, I can take God's word or have somebody else show you how you can have your sins forgiven. But those here this morning, as many of you are, you testified to me that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Some of you have even done that here. Some of you have even followed the Lord in obedience and been baptized here. We, we praise God for that. But now let's go be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. As we come to this place and as we leave this place, may we leave desiring to point others to Christ in everything we do. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. Thank you for this great text. There's so much here. and We just barely scratched the surface today. Lord, may we be faithful ambassadors wherever we go. Lord, I want to pray this morning for those who may watch this online, those who are here in this room who may not know you as Savior. You know their hearts. I don't. Lord, this is, you know my heart. It's not to pick on anybody. Rather, it's in love to try to point them to you so that they can have a relationship with you and have their sins forgiven, have an eternal home in heaven. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that they and their heart would call upon you ask you to forgive them of their sin and trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing, what you will do in Jesus' name.